What is up, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Open week edition, or bye week. Although I think bye week is used incorrectly. But either way, it's an open week for the Texans. No game this weekend. No Thursday. No Sunday. No Monday. Everybody gets a chance to breathe a little bit, especially after that last one against Denver. Oh, man, how exciting was that? But it's good to be with you. Nonetheless, we'll have our normal shows Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I'll be here for the next couple of hours, and we've got plenty for you. We're going to hear from a few of the assistant coaches over the next few days. Tonight, we're going to hear from John Perry. We're going to hear from Danny Barrett, John Perry, the wide receivers coach, Danny Barrett, the running backs coach. So it's more of an offensive night tonight. And then on Friday, we're going to hear from Brad Seeley, special teams coordinator. We're going to hear from Anthony Weaver, defensive line coach and former Texan. Anthony Midget, we're going to hear from him as well uh, on Friday. So we're going to spread out some of the great stuff that we got from the assistant coaches, some one-on-ones or I guess two-on-ones that Mark and I were able to spend some time with the coaches in here in studio. We'll also hear from a lot of the assistant coaches tonight, especially in this segment, in just a little bit. What else is on tonight's show? Well, we're going to play back one of, I thought, the best deep slants that we've had. Our deep slant interview of the week is so good with D.P. Sidhu. And it, I think it's apropos to play the deep slant that D.P. did with Kareem Jackson. Because, first of all, Kareem's great. Second of all, Kareem is coming off what I thought was one of his best all-time games. I think 2017 against Cincinnati, week two, and then this one against Denver, he was phenomenal. Just flat-out phenomenal in that game against the Denver Broncos. So I think we'll hear from Kareem Jackson with our Deep Slant interview of the week. He talks a little bit about KJAC TV, and that was definitely a talking point in the locker room on Monday. The players in here on Monday, and then they're out for a few days. The coach is getting some rest for a few days. They'll reconvene over the weekend. The players will come back in to start next week and get ready for Washington. But it's kind of a quiet building right now given the fact that everybody is out and about. But on Monday, when the players were in the locker room, we presented, and by we, I mean DP and everybody that works with KJAC TV, our whole department got T-shirts. The KJAC TV T-shirts came out. And Kareem knew they were coming, but he didn't know when. And so he was, it was the hottest item in the locker room. The hottest item, because he got the T-shirt and he was just floored. I wish I could have been in there, because I was taping Telestrator. So how did I know this is going down? Jay McDevitt was shooting Telestrator. And Jay, we finish up, and Jay's like, I'll go break all the equipment down later. He goes, I got to go. And I was like, what is it? And he goes, Deshaun wants a KJAC TV shirt. So he had to go get one for Deshaun Watson. So everybody wants a KJAC TV shirt. Everybody wants to be on the show KJAC TV. It's absolutely great stuff. So I figured with all that swirling around, why not have our deep slant interview with Kareem Jackson? So John Perry, deep slant with Kareem Jackson, Danny Barrett, running backs coach. Mark's going to stop by and kind of give his thoughts about the first nine weeks of the year. I would say first half, but the first nine weeks of the year and then talk about projecting into the final seven weeks of the year. And then I have a little snippet from our In the Lab podcast that Drew Doherty and I do that you got to check out. Our podcasts are great. Deep Slant podcast, In the, uh, in the Lab, Van Meer's View, great podcast that we put together. So the you got to check those out. So we'll have a little snippet that Drew and I did from our In the Lab podcast. So plenty of stuff going on. But let's start it off, as we always do, with our hot reads. And hot reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. 
And for our high reads today, let's hear from both players and coaches, and by coaches I mean assistant coaches, talking about the season, talking about the game in Denver, talking about getting to the bye week. Let's talk about all that, and let's start with Tyron Matthew. At 0-3, this team was seemingly on paper much better than an 0-3 record, but they had to get it turned around, and Tyron said the team always thought that it could do that. Knowing we had a good group, knowing we have a good team, um, I think anytime you could look in your locker room and know you have quality players, you know, guys that are really good at their position, um, I think it always, you know, gives you, um, you know, that sense of, you know, we could turn things around. And Tyron is the one guy that really kind of took over in that time frame of talking to the team beforehand, talking to him afterwards, really taking on a leadership role, which we had talked about before the season. That would be something that he – that was a huge asset that he was bringing to this team. There's no doubt about it. And when you have guys in the locker room like that, you have the leadership, then you have the ability to win some close games. And Tyron said, yeah, that's our identity. We can win a close game. Well, I think especially, you know, going into the bye week, going into the second half of the season, um, I think you want to have that kind of identity. Um, you know, obviously a team with grit, fight, um, one that could really overcome adversity, you know, play good football in tough situations, obviously take care of football in critical situations. Um, I think that's the kind of formula, you know, you want to have going down the stretch, you know, hopefully playing in the playoffs. Yeah, no doubt, because you are going to have to win some close games in the playoffs. There's no question about that. But I think this team also has the ability to to run away in a game, too. They showed that against Miami, and I think they've got the ability to do that. Now as we get to the bye week, there's no doubt for players, you're nine games in. Last year we were only six games in. Is that right? I think we had six games. Uh, yeah, six games in because game seven – was in week eight. Yeah, so we had the bye week much earlier last year. Now you're nine games in. Tyron said, got to get some rest, got to get your bodies right for the second half. Obviously, winning six games in a row is, is hard in the NFL. Not many teams do it. Um, I think it's important for us to, uh, to kind of, you know, look back at the first half of the season, uh, get a grasp on the things that we need to improve on, and, and then just relax. Uh, like I said, uh, I think six games in a row, you know, uh, I think we deserve a couple, couple days off. There's no doubt you went six in a row. You deserve you deserve a few days off, Tyron. There's no question about that. All right, let's hear from one of the guys that is becoming one of the more versatile pieces on this team and has been. A guy that played outside linebacker. He's played some defensive end in his career. He played some defensive tackle even at Stanford. But he's really become a special teams marvel, and that's Brennan Scarlett. And he said, it feels good to be on this six-game winning streak, especially heading into the bye. Feeling good. Uh, won six in a row. Uh, rolling, teams coming together nicely, and so now I've got a week off, recover the body, you know, get away for a little bit, it'll be good. Same thing, get your body right, but also get your mind right. There's no question about that. Brent also talked about the close games. They were really close when they lost those first three. They knew they were close. It was just a matter of doing some of the little things. We knew we were just we were just a little bit away, you know, and it was just a couple plays here and there uh, to bring us over the top, and I think like you said, we're kind of developing to figure out how to, you know, fix those little things and get there. All right, we've heard enough from the players, right? We've heard enough from the players. Let's hear from some of the coaches. Let's start with outside linebackers coach, defensive assistant, John Pagano. Yeah, I know that name sounds weird. Pagano, man, Chuck Pagano, Colts. But John Pagano has done a really nice job with this coaching staff. It's great to have him here. And he talked about the front seven, how unique it is 
But these guys up front are winning their one-on-one matchups. Well, I think that that production always comes with what we talk about, what Rack really stresses, winning those one-on-one matchups. And anytime you get those opportunities between, you know, 99, 90, 59, um, inside linebackers coming up the middle, one-on-one with the backs, I think you got to be pleased with it. So uh, moving forward, it's, it's been good for us. Yeah, there's no doubt it definitely has been good. And one of the guys that he mentioned, and of course around here we mentioned him by number because we've gotten so used to it, but he talked about number numbers 99, 59, and 90. And 90 is Jadavion Clowney. And he moves around so much, and we talked about this with Anthony Weaver, and you'll hear that with our interview on Friday. Is JD a lineman? Do you get him in your lineman room, Anthony? He kind of smiled, and John Pagano gets him sometimes, so which one is he? But that fact that he can move around, Coach Pagano said, is what makes him so good and very disruptive. What Rack does to move him around and not not get a true beat on uh, where he lines up, he's he's a very disruptive player. And I think, uh, you know, moving forward, you always want that guy to have that disruption and to be able to uh, truly come up the, you know, the different alignments of where he aligns. So that's been good. It definitely has been good. When you think about what the where JD has picked up his sacks. He got one the other day just blasting up the middle. He's got he's gotten them on loop stunts. He got one where he blasted Quinn Nelson. He got one where he came around the edge. There's so much that you can do with JD. There's no question about that. Last one from Coach Pagano. Again, the players were asked about it, the coaches were asked about it. You were only three. What are you thinking at that moment? And now you're six and three. When you look back, what was the key? Stay in the course of, of truly, truly stay in the course and just putting your head down. And there was no panic. There was no uh, understanding that we had these wholesale changes. We had to just go out there and make plays and, and keep working together. And that's the one thing those guys did. They fought, and um, it's, it's it's really a you know a tribute to those players of truly buying into it as, as coach always talks about how close they are that togetherness and, and fighting together has been good for him yeah there's no doubt you got to have that fight all right let's move on let's go to tim kelly tight ends coach who had i don't want to say he had his hands full he's got a guy in ryan griffin that has got a lot of experience and tim's been with him before but now he's got two tight ends two rookies jordan akins and jordan thomas and he talked about jordan thomas being a pretty unique tight end in that he is massive, but he got the skill set of a wide receiver. Jordan's doing a good job executing the things that, that we're asking him to do, and he's got really strong hands, and I, obviously I think his background as a wide receiver helps, but really he's not doing anything that different from, from the first couple of weeks. It's just the balls have come his way the past couple, you know, the, the two weeks especially, and he's been able to go up and make a play on it. Yeah, he's been going up and making plays. There's no doubt about that. Coach Kelly asked where the areas the tight ends need to improve. I mean, I think they've done a pretty good job. There's pretty good run blocking from all three of them. What areas do the tight ends need to improve upon? Their knowledge of the offense. It's while well, you know it's it's been good. They can always be better. Um, and then really just coming in and working on working on the skills and, and doing the things that we're asking Griff to do. You know, I'm going to ask Griff to come in and get better at, at, at blocking and different route techniques and things on those lines. And that's why Ryan's such a great pro is because he comes in and he puts in the work, he puts in the time. And so I'm going to ask all three of them to come in and continue to get better and, and work on those things. All right, let's talk a little bit more offense with Sean Ryan, quarterback's coach, who deals a lot with Deshaun Watson 
And Coach Ryan was asked about offensive balance and how that's been a key for this team. We're balanced. I think we've had some, some success, and I think, uh, you know, we're – we need to, to continue to kind of grow our, you know, keep looking at the different packages we're running, grow on them, and then go from there. Now, one of the things the Texans have done in the last three weeks, and I thought this was pretty interesting, Omar Majub, our media PR guru, who is our go-to, he's always pumping us full of, of stats, and we've been talking in the last three weeks about, man, no turnovers, no turnovers. Well, he investigated it. This is the first time in Texans history that they have not turned the ball over three straight games. Now, there have been games in which the offense has not done it in history for three games, but there would be special teams turnovers. This is the first time ever no turnovers for three games, and that has been a huge boost for this team. And Sean Ryan said, yeah, Deshaun in particular has done a good job of keeping the ball protected. The turnovers and the you know importance, him understanding the importance of ball security and uh, you know his decision-making, which obviously helps with ball security. Um, is a direct result of him playing more, you know, having more experience, and, and really had spent a lot of time, you know, in uh, you know studying defenses and understanding defenses. So I think all of that plays into it. Yeah, when people at the beginning of the year panicked when Deshaun was facing the Patriots and the Titans, two pretty good defenses, and at that point, those are only his, I think, seventh and eighth career starts. And people were panicking, like, oh, man, it's over. He's regressed. Man, he hasn't regressed. He's gotten better and better every single week. And the fact that he's not turning the ball over, I think, has been a huge, huge thing for this entire team. And Coach Ryan said that Deshaun's done a good job taking care of the ball, but also taking care of his body. He's been aware of that, and I think you know it's it's been a, it's been a big positive for him, and it's paying off for him too. You know what I mean? I think he's he's feeling better, and, and he knows he's taking care of the football, which is helping us win games. So it all kind of plays into each other. You know, it's being reinforced by the by the outcome. So I think that that all helps. But he's definitely taking care of himself. He's making good decisions right now. We just got to keep going with that. Yeah, there's no doubt. He's got to keep going with that. All right, let's hear from Wes Welker, offensive assistant. And he deals and works with tight ends. He works with punt returners. He works a lot with the offense. And he knows Demarius Thomas, having played with Demarius Thomas in Denver. And he said, hey, thus far, in the situation he's been put in, Demarius has done a pretty good job. Demarius is a, you know, he's, he's a sharp guy and, uh, you know, is, is a real pro and uh, been around the league for a long time. So, um, he's actually been in this system, uh, although things have changed a little bit, but um, some of the terminology was the same uh, from his rookie year and some of his early years there in Denver. So, um, you know, he's done a great job of, you know, staying on top of the game plan, and, you know, hopefully that just gets better as we go. It was sort of fascinating after the game on the bus, outside the buses, we're getting ready to leave to see Peyton and his twin kids, his kids with him, and, Marshall, his youngest, wearing a Demarius Thomas jersey, and there's Wes and Demarius and Peyton and all together. It just, it, it was just, it, it was interesting to see all of them in different phases. You know, they were all together with the Broncos, and now Wes is a coach for the Texans, and Demarius plays for the Texans, and Peyton is, you know, he's retired, and I don't know what he's doing right now, but man, he's staying around the game. Oh, I do know what he's doing. He's doing an ESPN detail show. That Kobe Bryant start and it's fabulous. And I told you about that after the Dolphins game. There were there were, I watched that about two hours before the Dolphins game, the one on Matt Stafford. And some of the things that Peyton talked about in there, I actually picked up from Brock Osweiler. 
And there were a couple times where I knew exactly where the ball was going based on some of the hand signals that Brock was giving that I learned from that detail. So thank you, Peyton. Uh, I appreciate that. Wes also talked about DeAndre Hopkins and what makes him so special. I think just uh, the way he competes, you know, um, you know, day in, day out, especially on Sundays. Um, and then, you know, his hands and, uh, you know, his belief in himself and knowing that, you know, he's going to make the play whenever uh, he's given the opportunity. I think it's something that gets glossed over a little bit is how competitive DeAndre is. But that, to me, is an element in the locker room that is plentiful. There are some very competitive dudes in that locker room. Look, you get this level, everybody's athletic. They've got all the skills. they got the size. they got all that. But that competitive nature is what sets you apart. And this group's got a bunch, a bunch of competitors that all look out for each other. It's very special, no doubt. All right, coming up next, we've got wide receivers coach, John Perry. We'll talk a little bit more about Hop. We'll talk about Kiki QT. And what was the week like with Demarius Thomas, his first week as a Texan? John Perry next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris. And it's time to get into our interview with assistant coaches. And we're going to start with wide receivers coach John Perry, who's one of my favorite people in this entire building. You never see that guy without a smile competitive, tough, love everything about John Perry, coaches the wide receivers. So we asked him a little bit about DeAndre Hopkins, Kiki QT, and of course, what was the week like with Demarius Thomas? All right, Coach, what's it like when you don't have the same guys out there every week? You have to adjust. I know that happens in a lot of position groups, but this is very precise stuff we're dealing with. So how is that for you? It's always a challenge to get those guys right because during the week, you know, uh, for Deshaun to really, you know, be on the same page with those guys and know, I mean, you can draw up a out route, but, uh, you know, have four different guys run it and it's going to look four different ways a lot of times. So, you know, that timing and everything like that, you know, so that's a real tribute to Deshaun that he's able to adjust to these guys because, um, you know, you, you try to get them all on the same page in a short period of time and it's difficult during the season. Coach, I know you've had a short time with Demarius. I mean, maybe not even a week at this point. But what's it been like getting him kind of up to speed? And what was Sunday like trying to figure out, especially the second half, like where he's supposed to go and how did he manage through that second half in particular? He did a great job all last week. You know, he came in from day one. I mean, I was impressed with him from the second we found out about the trade. He called me, you know, reached out to me and just told me he was excited about coming and how he wanted to approach the week. So that was great. He came in every, early every morning. We went over things. Uh, we stayed after practice and did uh, walkthroughs just with him. And, uh, you know, so he did a great job with that. And then moving into the game, yeah, there were certainly some challenges because, you know, anytime you go into a game, you you have an idea of how you want to play the game early on. And, and certainly the players know that as well. So he was really up to speed with all that. And you saw he didn't miss a beat because he's such a you know great professional. But, you know, as the game goes on and you start getting into more schematics and, and game plan plays and stuff like that, uh, you know, that's where the challenges arise. And But he handled it like a, you know, like a professional the whole time and, um, you know, it was just it was just great that uh, it worked out. Um, he's you know he's such a tremendous talent. Yeah. You know uh, that it's just really fun to work with him. So, Coach O'Brien said that early on with Josh McDaniel, he was able to you know get some of that of the base of what you guys work on. There's some similarities in the terminology and everything. What about that part of it? Now that you go into the buy, 
the foundation, trying to get more of that in there? Or are we still pretty much going to go game game plan to game plan? We're hoping not to go game plan to game plan. That was one of the things I talked with uh, DT about yesterday. Um, you know, he's got his plans to uh, get away, as everybody needs to do here in the bye week. Uh, but, uh, you know, he asked me, he's like, oh, I'm going to be back on this day. You know, do you think we could, you know, get down? So, uh, you know, we plan on getting together and, and doing some things. So it's it's great that way because our approach right now is to get the foundation really in place so that he's able to adjust uh, to some of the game plan plays and stuff like that. So this week and the early part of next week, that, that'll be uh, between DT and I, that'll be our approach, you know, trying to get the real strong foundation of what we're trying to do and, and not just survive the day, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Coach, we know you're a, you're a fabulous coach. We know that. There's no question. I mean, to be able to tell to Billy teach, that. Yeah, to be yeah. able to teach a receiver to catch the ball with one hand and then pin it to his leg was, I mean, I don't, I mean, that's just, that's an incredible stuff. Is that a drill? A lot of, a lot <laughs> I mean, of coaches don't work on that. I know, <laughs> you know we see you guys working to, on that all the time. I mean, you have a guy like Hopkins that can pretty much catch everything under the sun. What's, what, what do you want to try and help him with on a, on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? When you have a guy that catches the ball so well, but yet there's still a lot about the game you have to learn, what is, what's the key role for you in dealing with a guy like Hopkins as good as he is? The biggest thing with uh, DeAndre is, you know, something we've talked about from training camp on is is really understanding the learning curve. And and certainly he's at the top of the learning curve. So each, you know, each way to get better is so small incrementally that he needs to understand that that, you know, if he wants to be the best, which I know he does, he needs to he needs to keep putting that work in that that got him to be an elite receiver. So you know, whether it's catching the ball, releases, all those things, the fundamentals are all the same. It's just making sure we put those to the test of what he's actually going to see. So the, my approach during the week is like, okay, hey, you're going to see Harris this week. This is how he's going to play. How are you going to release him? How are you going to run your top of the route against him? You know, and then, mm-hmm. you know, him. now we're playing Jalen Ramsey. You know, how are we going to approach it against this particular guy? And I think that's where – he's accelerated the learning curve even being at the top of it because it's it's very precise and he's very precise about his approach. Receivers coach John Perry joining us on Texans Radio. All right, so what about Kiki QT? Because he's looked very good when he's been out there, but he's been banged up a little bit. Can he still get something out of these weeks of preparation without being out there mentally anyway as he mends? Well, one of the things that's been really impressive about Kiki is he missed a lot of training camp, and when he came back, he didn't miss a beat because in the meetings, he's very focused. Uh, For a young guy, that's unusual, and he's really taken a great approach. So he's been in all the meetings, and he's been in all the game plan meetings all the way through now in in these games that he's missed. So um, I'm hoping that he has the the same kind of success uh, mentally, that he had when he came out the, in the in the first game that he returned in, you know, and he obviously did really well. So I, I, you know, I would expect him to have that approach. I mean, he's had that approach, so I expect him to have the similar results moving forward. You know, translating it onto the field quickly, just from a mental standpoint. Coach, we've talked with with uh, Coach O'Brien about this, but when you guys are sitting at zero and three, and I would imagine you looked around your receiving room and you're like, I got one of the best receivers in the league, if not the best receiver in the league. I got some young bucks in here that are pretty good. Will Fuller's come along. 
Did you have kind of the same feeling we did in some sense, like, hey, we just kind of need a break here to kind of get going past 0-3, and, and then we do that, man, who knows what we can do. What was your feeling as you're sitting there kind of 0-3 and, and you got to sit in front of your guys and say, all right, Indianapolis is up next. What was kind of your thought at that point of the season? I think the first thing was, you know, you know, and this is this comes from Coach O'Brien, is just the consistency. Nothing, nothing really changes whether you're 0-3 or 6-3. and right. You know, our approach is always the same. And, and that consistency helps the players. It helps coaches. And, and so in our room – you know, we re- we really felt like we were close on a lot of things, especially you know coming off uh, you know a couple of those games where you know in Tennessee where you know we had so many explosive plays but just couldn't find a way to get in the end zone type of thing. So, you know, we really felt like we were close, and uh, you know the guys in my room are extremely confident. You know, uh, it's just really you know that was a breath of fresh air to see how Will Fuller. You know, it's unfortunate that he's dealing with what he has to deal with now, but. You know, his approach on the sidelines and in practice was all about, like, uh, you know, he really felt confident. He was really at a very high point confidence-wise and, you know, felt like, you know, basically nobody can cover me <laughs> type of yeah, – yeah. which is what you want from a from a receiver and, and certainly from a number two receiver. So, you know, that's why, you know, DT even coming in here is a, a breath of fresh air because, you know, he's, he's really embraced his role here as – as a counterpart to uh, to DeAndre, and and hopefully that's going to help us, you know, moving forward. So I think it's a great point about Fuller because he has gotten so much better since he's gotten into the league, and it's great for young guys like Vincent Smith, for instance, or QT to see that. No question. Um, I've given all the credit to you know Will because, like you said, two years ago when I, when I got moved to the receivers, he came to me and he said. I want to work on this, this, and this. What do you have for me? And, you know, so he, he kind of tested me, like, mm-hmm. hey, let's go out and do these things. So we we constructed some drills, tried to make them as lifelike and game-like as we could because that's what he wanted to do. He, it wasn't just, you know, one of the things I had told him, you know, I thought he had great hands. You know, it was just a matter of, you know, there were some situational things where, like, hey, there's a distraction at the last second or there's a guy grabbing me on, on the side that I'm not ready for. And those were those, some of the things. And, and he worked really hard on that, whether it was having managers grab me and stuff like that. Uh, so it, it, was, it was really good. I, I give a lot of credit to Will. All right, Coach, thanks a lot for joining us, and go Rangers. All right. <laughs> yeah, Clement. So why did Mark mention Clements High School? Uh, John Perry's son is a starting quarterback over at Clements High School in the Fort Bend District. It's where my mom first got a high school teaching job, was at Clements High School many, many eons ago. I almost went there, but I had to stay with my homeboys over at Lamar Consolidated. We did some good things uh, in football over there, so I was very happy to do that. But I kind of got some familial ties to Clements, so really cheering for John Perry's son and Clements Rangers at this point of the year. All right, we get back. It's time for our Deep Slant Interview of the Week, and this week it is Kareem Jackson, and you're going to learn a little nugget about KJAC TV that just came up in the last 24 hours. KJAC TV going national? Oh, yeah. That's next on Texans Access. The Choose Fun moment of the week is... First down, Broncos at their 45. Keenum to throw, and he swings Ooh. it out of the backfield. And Lindsey with the catch, but Jackson jarred it loose, so it's an incompletion. Another big hit by Kareem. What a day he's having. Now, that was not very fun for Phil Lindsay, but it definitely was fun for everybody else. Don't forget to enter for your chance to win a cruise every week if the Texans catch a touchdown. Not if they make a big hit like that from Kareem Jackson. But just a reminder, Carnival has been giving out a lot of cruises lately. 
because Deshaun Watson's been throwing a lot of touchdown passes. It's been great. Carnival, the official cruise line of the Houston Texans, choose fun. Now, when it comes to Kareem Jackson, he's a lot of fun. No doubt about it. In fact, one of the more fun moments this week in the locker room was when DP Sidhu and company presented Kareem Jackson with KJAC TV t-shirts. It was the hot item in the locker room. In fact, I was recording Telestrator on Monday, and we got done, and Jay McDevitt was, like, hauling out of there. And I said, Jay, what's going on? Like, where are you going? He goes, I have to go get Deshaun a KJAC TV shirt. They were the hot item. KJAC TV is the absolute best. And Kareem joined DP Sidhu a couple of weeks ago to talk about where he is in his career, what he's been doing, how this year has been so successful for him, and the impact of KJAC TV and what it has meant to him and his teammates. Joining me today, starting safety, starting cornerback, <laughs> host of KJAC TV, Kareem Jackson. I got to say, my ratings are going to go through the roof today, through haven't you roof. on, Kareem? Through the roof. <laughs> haven't you on? Okay, I want to get to the KJAC TV in a bit. You're having so much fun. Ton of fun. Both on and off the field. So let's start on the field, uh, how much fun you're having. You had the interception against Dallas. You now lead this franchise. What was your favorite interception of all um, of them? Probably, probably my first pick six. Just, you know, that's pretty memorable for me. You know, my first time getting in the end zone in NFL. So that would probably be my, my favorite what one. What game was that again? It was Tennessee. Uh, I actually don't remember the year, but I remember the play, though. Okay, what was the play? Um, I remember the route they ran. They ran double in, and I remember what coverage we was in. We was in cover eight. This was when Wade, uh, Wade Phillips was here. We was in cover eight, and... I got a good jump on it and I picked it off and ran it back for a touchdown. Did you high step your way into the end zone? That seems yeah, to be I your did. move. I did. What's the, inspired you to do that? Is it Deion Sanders? Oh, uh, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Growing up, um, Deion, one of my favorite players, you know, just seeing him high step, you know, every time he got an interception. So, you know, it's almost, you know, instincts and it just kind of kick in and just instantly go to that. You had the interception in the Dallas game, but you also had nearly that walk-off pick six. Walk us through what your emotions were like after that. I think the entire stadium just sighed because it was, I mean, it was a tough play to make regardless, but uh, what was your emotion after that? I I, I definitely should have made it. Um, If you can, if you remember, I just laid there for a little (laughs) while and I was just like, I can't believe I just dropped that. But um, for me, Making that play, you know, it's kind of getting us out of that situation without, you know, not having to go into overtime, you know, definitely would have been huge for us as a team. But um, didn't make it, but, you know, we we finished the game in overtime. You know, we was able to get a win, so that's, you know, that's the only thing that matters right now. That's true. I saw a stat in that game that when Dak Prescott targeted you, his passer rating was 5.6, and Pro Football Focus graded you fifth in the league in your run defense grade. So nine years in the league now, do you think this is the best that you've ever played? Um, so far, I think I think this is probably, yeah, so far. Still got a long season to go. You know, um, um, for me, I want to constantly, you know, improve each and every day. I still feel as though, you know, I got a little bit more out, out there I can go get, you know. And, and for me, I just want to be a big part of the team, you know, and, and be a piece of the puzzle that, you know, going out and being consistent day in and day out, you know, and helping us win games. How much was moving to safety part of the fact that you've been playing so well? 
Because first, people thought it was that. They thought, oh, he's moved to safety. He looks so comfortable. But even when you switch back to corner, there's no drop-off in your level of play. You just seem to be playing like your hair's on fire this year. Did you do something different this offseason? I actually didn't. I actually did the same stuff. You know, um, physically, I feel a lot better than I felt, you know, in previous previous years. You know, um, and um, Coach Luke, you know, and their trainers and their staff coming in, you know, with the strength and conditioning has been a big part of that, you know. But, um. I actually did the same stuff I did in the off season, you know. Um, I mean, for me, I just try to, I just, I just want to improve every year, you know. I, I go into every year and I approach it differently, you know, from a mental aspect, you know. But at the same time, I still want to get better in every aspect of my game. So, um, I've been in some great positions this year, you know, whether it's play calling or whether I, you know, just technique why I put myself in, you know, good position to be able to make some plays. And I, I mean, I've just been able to, you know, make the plays. DJ Reader called you a Swiss Army knife. He said you're able to do everything. Right. And I, I feel like every year in OTAs, we would see you line up at safety at some point in the offseason. But this was the year that you officially made the switch that the team actually moved you to safety. How did that decision go down? When did you find out that you were making the move? Kind of right at the OTAs. And I had a conversation with uh, my DB coach, Coach Rack, and Coach O'Brien. And, and it was basically, you know, what was best for the team. You know, Andre Howe going into his situation and, you know, him not being a, being able to play. So um, that that was, you know, pretty much the best move for the team. So, you know, they told me it was going to move me to safety. And, you know, for me, I just wanted to embrace that, that move and, and, and still be able to go out and, and compete and play at a high level. I felt I could do it just because, you know, from a mental aspect, I pretty much knew every spot in the secondary already because, in, in previous years, I play a little bit here and there in certain games at safety, but full-time moving there, you know, I felt like it, it, it wouldn't be a problem. So, you know, I've been able to go out and I learned the defense inside and out, and I've been able to go out and, you know, be consistent in some of the things that I've been doing. It's not even just learning the defense. I think what I hear about you the most is your tackling ability, your ability to bring down guys. Do you think that's your strength of your game? Yeah, I pride myself on being able to tackle. Definitely a tough league, and, you know, having being out there in, in space with guys and being one-on-one playing the safety spot you got to be able to get them down so I definitely pride myself on my tackling you had J. Joe at corner now you've got Tyron Matthew what's it like having him as your tag team at safety you got another SEC guy back there definitely definitely um SEC guys man we we <laughs> even if we 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 not we don't play together right off the bat and some some years down the line we eventually get on the same team as all it's, it's like we are already brothers though but um you're always enemies in college and it seems like everybody comes yeah. here and then everybody gets along yeah, all you SEC um, guys it's been great having Ty here you know he's been he's a huge part of our team he's a great leader in the locker room you know on, on the field as well played a ton of ball has a ton of experience you know pro bowler all pro all that you know all the accolades but um I guess that's the thing for me you know that's most impressive about him is just the way he's approached approach every day you know he comes in he, he works you know just like he, he's a young guy like he you know he still has a, a ton to prove but um that that's probably what impresses me about the most about him but like I say it's, it's been great you know just the communication wise with, with him and you know just seeing him going out and playing and and, and just having him here everything's been great you now have two girls you yes I did. added to the Jackson clan this off season. actually was it training camp or right before training camp right before training camp right before training camp. what's it like having two little ones now? um I want to know what you're like as a dad I bet you're so much fun uh, I I don't have any say so in my house <laughs> the girls it, have outnumbered yeah, you it, it goes my two-year-old daughter which will be three on Sunday it's my wife, and then it's my three-month-old daughter. <laughs> the the three-month-old is above you. Yeah, she she can't even put together words right now, and she still has more say-so than me. So it's, 
I told my wife yeah, yeah, just yesterday that I was going to move upstairs permanently. And you know, <laughs> if you guys need me, just holler. Upstairs. Just holler. Yeah, because they're a handful. Um, especially my my oldest daughter is is just like she's about to turn fifteen and she's only about to be three. Yeah, those the terrible twos are one thing, but I think um, there's a terrible two that goes all the way to their five because terrible threes and then yeah, fours. Yeah, I was listening to her last night and in my head I'm saying, how are you even saying some of this stuff right <laughs> now? You're not even supposed to know any of this stuff, and this is like. It's just like talking to another adult, and I I can't believe it. She's growing so fast, and she's so smart, and and, and it's scary because, like I say, I don't have any say so. Okay, do you think you'll ever make it the Jackson Five? Um, I don't. Uh, I probably I probably I'm asking sh- too soon, yeah, right? Not, I should give it some time before I ask you that. Hopefully not five, <laughs> possibly four, but we got to get three first. No, so. five meaning like three kids and the two oh, you and your oh, wife, okay. right? I thought you were saying oh, five, five kids. Is a, five I is say Jesus. That's a um, lot of that's a lot of kids. Yeah, eventually it'll definitely be. No, I meant the, all def- of you. Yeah, it'll definitely be the Jackson Five eventually. You think so? Yeah. Oh, definitely. that's good to hear. K Jack TV. Everybody knows about it. Ratings are through the roof. You got sponsors. You've got guests. You've got players. Everybody wants to be on your show. People really get to see your personality in that. I think I'm I'm very proud of the fact that people get to see like how we see you right. on the show. What do you think you want people to get out of that? Just pretty much just to, just to see the guy's personality. For us, is is you know when we're here, you know it's all about football. Everybody outside of outside of the locker room only sees us in our helmets, and you know, and, and when we're out there running around on the field and stuff, I want everybody to see that you know we have another side. You know, um, you know we got some funny guys in there. We got guys that. You know, don't talk much. We got guys that can't shit up. You know, we got guys that, <laughs> guys like, that to, like to sing. I right, like to sing, <laughs> like to dance. So, you know, I just want everybody to be able to see a different side of us and, and definitely enjoy it. You know, so, um, I mean, and, and for us, you know, we, we, we're not just football players. We're husbands. We're, we're dads, brothers, and all the other stuff. So I just want everybody to be able to see, you know, more than the football side. I wasn't here when you first got here in 2010, but has your personality always been like this or has it come out more in the last um, few years i've always been like this but more so outside of the building but uh, i think the more and more you know i kind of uh I say became a veteran you're the most veteran guy in the locker room yeah right? i am but john weeks yeah john you weeks, and john weeks. Me, and john, me and john weeks is the same year okay so um i just think you know the more i the older I kind of got and, you know, and Coach O'Brien allowed me to kind of, you know, let my hair down a little bit. Then I, I I just got to a point where I guess I'm one of the guys that can't shut up. But um, <laughs> so I just kind of just let it out everywhere. You know, it's just, it's, for me, it's all about having fun. I don't look at coming, coming here every day as just a job. You know, I like to come over here. I like to have fun with the guys. You know, we 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 you know we laugh, we joke. You know, we gotta have fun because the minute it gets to a point where you, we look at it like it's just a job, then you know we're not gonna enjoy it anymore. But um, for me, it's just all about having fun. And you know, the day I stop having fun, then it, it'll be a problem. But so, like I said, I just I just love to have fun, even when I'm at home and you know wherever I'm at. You know, I'm, I'm I like to be the same person every day, so it, it's going to be some fun. You know, if I'm if I'm involved in it. Well, we're having a lot of fun watching you on KJAC TV and on the field. Hope you keep it going. All-time leader in interceptions, Kareem Jackson, and you can catch KJAC TV. It's pretty much everywhere. It's on HoustonTexans.com. It's on Instagram. It's on Facebook. It's on Twitter. Definitely, we, right? We, yeah, you're, we, you're we're all worldwide. over the place, man. We um, 
we're thinking about taking KJAC TV on the road in the off season. Um, oh, okay. That's a long time from now. We're going to be playing for a long time. Yes. But um, we we got some more um, some people we're going to go out and we're going to bring on to the show. And let me take a time time out right now to thank my sponsors. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to thank, you know, Arctic for being a great sponsor, you know. Um, Arctic also sponsors oh, my yeah, TV show, they, too. I see that. I see that. So <laughs> we both should tell Arctic. We should. Thank we you should. Right Thanks, now. Arctic. Yeah. Thank Arctic. And, you know, um, you guys are great. You know, we, we definitely appreciate you guys' support. And all of the fans out there that love KJAC TV, you know, we do it for you guys, and we hope you guys are enjoying it. And, um, yeah, I guess that's it right now. Yeah. But, okay. Well, you just wrapped up the show for me. You're just a natural. I'm just a natural. You're just a natural. All right, Cream Jackson, thanks so much, Cream. All right, thank you. You know, last night as I was scrolling through my timeline on Twitter, it was midterm night, so a lot of political tweets, but I'm kind of firing through, making sure that I don't miss anything. And it's Tuesday night, so there's not a ton going on football-wise. But I happened to roll through Rich Eisen. His Twitter feed popped up, and I see a Twitter handle like, whoa, I recognize that, at Reamboy25. Rich Eisen had on Cream Jackson yesterday. Kareem out in L.A. to do the show. I thought it was awesome that Kareem was getting some national run, but I listened to it was about four and a half minutes, five minutes, but they never brought up KJAC TV. I was so disappointed. And then I got this email from DP today. She said, you may want to add in, if you're playing a Deep Slant interview, which I did, that KJAC TV is going national. It will be featured regularly on the Kyle Brandt Football Experience Show on NFL Network starting this week. KJAC's going national. This is absolutely fantastic. He is a gem, and he is so good. And I play the audio for you every single Friday. The last segment of the show, we call it the player segment. And I always have the most recent episode of KJAC TV. So you get to hear it, but you got to see it too because you got to see some of the reactions of the players, some of the, the questions that, we, that Kareem has for them and how they respond, and then to see Kareem's reaction to it as well. Fantastic stuff. It's going national. we got T-shirts. Kareem was so thrilled when he got the T-shirt. I got one that I'll be sporting. I don't know. Maybe I'll wear it to Washington. We'll see. But Kareem was so excited to have that. It was a hot item in the locker room. Deshaun wanted one. and kind of messed up my Telestrator because Jay McDevitt was like running out of running out of the, the tour theater where we were shooting Telestrator because he had to go give Deshaun Watson a KJAC TV shirt. So everybody wants them. Everybody wants KJAC TV. And now you'll see it going national on NFL Network. That is awesome, awesome stuff. Speaking of awesome, Mark Vandermeer is going to stop by. And talk about the first nine weeks and then the last seven weeks. Can this be a special season? Can the Texans get to double-digit wins? Can they move further in the playoffs than maybe they've ever been? A lot of questions. Mark and I will talk about the second half of the season next right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Here's your Schlumberger Stats Challenge. Six is greater than three. And Mark Vandermeer, I'll ask you this. Mm-hmm. Does the Gator eat the six or eat the three? Does the Gator? Yeah, you never learned this in math? The Less Gator. Than, equal oh, than? oh, the Gator. That's Does the, the Gator? Gator eat the I've bigger, never heard the that before. You never heard that before? The sideways V called the gator? Yeah, the less than They don't than call it a sideways V No, either. it's greater than or less than. But I used to always tell my kids, no matter mm-hmm. how old, the gator eats the larger one. That's how you know. Six the is greater than The gator eats the bigger one. Yeah. Use that with Liam. Liam will get that. Yeah, you're right. That's a good idea. Liam will get that. That's how you learn less than greater than. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how you learn it. That's very good. There I'm going to use this. I'm going to cuz you know, he's 5 years old. He's got to learn this stuff. 6 is greater than 3. Mark, we've gone through 9 weeks already. Yeah. And Drew and I talked about this a little bit. 
But I'm curious because you obviously have called every single play of this year, every single play of this organization's history. But these nine weeks have been – they've been something else, man. Yeah. They have been stressful. They have Stress. been fun. They Major. have been disappointing at times. What's been your favorite moment? It can be on the field, off the field. Mm. It's up to you. What's your favorite moment thus far through nine weeks? I think hop spins. I think beating Dallas. I think I think that was the one yeah. because you know the the Colts game was. Thank goodness, it was such a relief to get the first win. You yeah. know, and then you're coming home and playing Dallas, and you knew that was going to be a big game no matter what the situation was because it's Dallas and. For four years, if you win, you get to say that you beat Dallas, and it's a big deal. They hadn't beaten them since opening day of franchise history. So, to me, that overtime and the ability to get the ball downfield with Hopkins with the catch and run and the double spin move, and then winning that, to me, that's that's the moment of the year so far. Because I was thinking about it. It was so big when McManus missed the 51-yarder. But when we look back, that, you know, and it's it's almost – it's not easy to forget the Dallas game, but you know, you're know you in it right now. So yeah. I think when we look back on the regular season, and there are moments to come, there's no question about that. But the first nine games, I would point to that one as a memorable one that, that's going to live for a while. I was thinking about that. In fact, I said that the other day when I was doing replay, that I thought there was a chance, considering where this team can go with this, that mm-hmm. there are some key games coming up. There are some games that... Hopefully there will be an AFC South clinching game and there will be a moment that yep. maybe the Denver game gets overshadowed in some sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe it does. But the way it ended going into the bye, I don't know that I'll ever forget it because you've got the Demarius Thomas situation. Yeah, He gets traded, then he goes back to Denver. Then you get the early lead. Then you've got Case Keenum, a former Texans quarterback, bringing him back. It all comes down to one moment and then there's this unbridled joy of six in a row. Yep. We beat Denver in Denver. And now we're going into the bye with three wins on everybody in the AFC South. Now, Tennessee did get a win the other night against Dallas. But I, I thought the game would be overshadowed. And I thought that was going to be that, – that would be foolhardy in some sense to overshadow it because I think it ends up being one of the more – It's a good point. More outstanding afternoons because we've had such great wins in the way they've happened like Dallas. I think that's the one everybody will remember, of course. And Jacksonville was no slouch win either, no. being able to go there. When they were desperate, they were coming off a couple of losses, and you go to their place and, as DP said, crush their souls. Uh, I do like that. But I'll, I'll say this. Against Denver, when that thing ended, I had a very dangerous feeling. And I only say dangerous because how could I possibly feel this? But I felt like maybe it's finally their time. You know, maybe it's finally the Texans' year. And yeah. I don't know what that means. Right. I'm not saying all the way necessarily, but right. maybe maybe the luck has changed after all the horrible luck you had last year with injuries. Maybe you're, you are getting, you know, people say, oh, lucky win. Look, you fought for it. You got it. You weren't lucky to miss an extra point. You know, if, uh, if he makes that, maybe the field goal at the end is for a tie and you take it from there into overtime. And Texans have looked good in overtime this year. But the point is this. Maybe it's just that kind of situation. It's that kind of year where we're going to get more of these moments because it felt like, wow, we're piling up these moments now. And you brought it up. How many games? Three games have come down to the final kick. You've made two of them, and you've gotten a miss out of the opponent in one of them. They're all wins. That's cool stuff. And you could have, would have, should have got an overtime kick against the Tennessee Titans week two had you been able to get the ball into range for Kaimi Fairbairn. So 
maybe it is that kind of season. But you know, look, you got seven games left in the regular season. Yeah. That's a that's almost fifty percent of your season right there. It's a big chunk. So we'll see how they handle it. We'll see how it goes. I think one of my favorite moments is actually one that nobody nobody saw, but the game you mentioned, Indianapolis game. I think there was more relief than anything else. Yeah. There was joy, don't get me wrong, but there was like, oh, he finally got off the schneid Well, because fourth and four, if he makes that, I, I know. my I know. gosh. I mean, at that point, at some point in the Indianapolis game, did you kind of come to grips with, are we going to get a tie? Are I, we really going to get a tie? Well, I was, at, at one point I was kind of, I hate to say I was hoping for a tie, yeah. but I thought if he punts the ball there, how much time was left? Yeah, uh, it wasn't much. It was like not much. If he punts the ball. Five seconds, yeah, eight I, th- seconds, I, I think. think, you know, you're looking at a tie if he punts the ball. Uh, if he makes it, you know, a couple of more plays, you got Adam Vinatieri, the greatest kicker of all time, set to win the game for the Colts. So it was a real touchy situation right there, and I thought, all right, we're staring at 0-4. Mm-hmm. 0-4 in the face, and either any one of these games could have gone the other way. Now, the Patriots game, you could argue, but look, you handed them an early touchdown with the turnover on the first play from scrimmage this season. You know, the Giants, you scored to make it a one-score game, but then you gave up a 75-yard touchdown drive. You couldn't get the ball back to try to get some more heroics out of Deshaun Watson. So uh, there have been a lot of really iffy, could-have-gone-either-way situations this season. And in the last six games, you've prevailed, and I hope they keep prevailing. You know, I'm not one. I'm a little, I'm a little superstitious. I don't believe in omens in, in any sense, but I remember when in that Patriots game, the when Deshaun and, and Lamar fumbled, I don't know who was at fault, but when they fumbled the first snap, I'm like, oh, that's that's foreboding something. Yeah, yeah. That's telling us something about this year, like, oh, man. What kind of year is it going to be? Yeah, and then we lose three in a row, and I'm like, oh, man, like the the omens are – but then, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because Sunday we go to Denver, and I had a little thing happen with my, my credit card, which I was like – something got screwed up in my bank and it it messed up my credit card. And I'm always trying to do is get some snacks so I can eat at halftime, Mm -hmm. you know, down on the sidelines because I don't get a chance to go to the press box or anything. So I'm like, oh, man, this is an omen. This is is not going to go well. And then I had forgotten, like, a pair of socks or something, something stupid. But I'm like, oh, man, this is not going to go well today. Oh, jeez. And then I got all these – and then all of a sudden they they win the game. And I'm like, all those things that I thought were omens or, you know – uh, previewing bad things for the Texans turned out to not be that. You know, so it's so I was like, maybe, okay, maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something with this team. I have those thoughts, and this is all, we could do a whole show on this in the offseason, you know, personal superstitions oh, and I've feelings about uh, along those lines. And it, they're really so narcissistic in a way to think that, like, any <laughs> fan or anybody, any one of us <laughs> not playing the game, like, you know, anything we endure or go through or experience yeah. is going to have an, an effect on the outcome of the game. Really? Really. You know? Yeah. I've, we should all live in Las Vegas if that's the case. Well, we have a friend. It's Lance Erlon. You all know. Yeah. And Lance and I used to go to games together, and his brother Mike. Mike's my age, and Lance is a couple years older, but we used to go to Houston Cougars games because their dad used to be there and so when the when the Cougars weren't playing well Lance would in the Astrodome they had these huge concourses on all the levels and Lance would just he would just start walking like and that would, just, would work he just couldn't watch it mm-hmm. and then the Cougs would start playing well and I'll never forget there was one time we we're playing well I think it was Baylor they got it within a touchdown or a field goal and Lance came to sit back down we're like what are you doing yeah no you keep walking he kept walking and they won and I mean, come on, <laughs> they did. And I swear it was the weirdest thing. It was like, all right, so you just build up superstitions. But I walked into the men's room before the game at Denver, and I thought I'll be here at the half, and the Texans will be leading. And then 
at halftime, I got in there. I'm like, mm-hmm, yep, see what's happening? <laughs> and then in the second half, when it was looking touchy at the end, I, th- I, I thought, I forgot to remind myself to have a good feeling yeah. after the game. Yeah. Because the Colts, that stadium, I just, I'll never forget the first time they beat the Colts in India, and I yeah. just left the press box and on my way to the, the restroom is a common theme here. You can get my drift. Yeah. Uh, but on my way there, and I'm just thinking, this is the happiest day ever in this city for anybody. Maybe yeah. not anybody, but I just felt like, again, it's all about me. Yeah. Here's mm-hmm. one thing about that indie game. Nobody knows this because it happened in the locker room. I- I'll tell it because I think it, it sort of told the story, and it tells the story, I think, of this team and what it was thinking at the time. Because they've been asked so often this week on Monday when they were here, what were you thinking at 0-3? I'll never forget coming in the locker room. There was a lot of joy. I think there was more joy in the Denver lock- in the locker room in Denver than there was in Indy, but I think there was more relief in Indy. But I'll never forget this. Because as I'm going to the locker room, uh, before OB talks to everybody, they're waiting for everybody to come in. And Ryan Griffin, the, the Colts locker room, you go through the door to the locker room where the players come in from the field, and it's this long corridor, and then you get into the locker room. So there's this long walk. And so I usually kind of hang out there, so I'm not kind of like in the locker room mix. So the player of the game comes to me over there, so we're kind of out of the way of everybody. So I'm kind of standing over there, and I see – I see Ryan Griffin, and as everybody's walking in, he's saying the same thing to everybody. He's like, all we needed was that one. All we needed was that one. All we needed was that one. Yep. We got that one. All we needed. That's all we needed. And I talked to him afterwards about it, and he goes, that's all we needed, John. We just needed to get rolling. He goes, that was we just Griffin, needed huh? to get it going. And he was he was kind of shaking hands with everybody as they were walking in. It was just like, we just needed that one. We just needed that one. And it really was. It was like they just needed to get that one to kind of break the seal. And we talked about it that week. Break the seal, get the win, okay, now start stacking them. And I remember Tyron saying that when he talked to the team afterwards, like, let's just start stacking these things now. And they have. They're stacking. There's no doubt. Now, seven games left. Yeah. Seven games left. The biggest key in your mind, outside of health, take health out of it. Health is out. Health is out. Biggest key going into the second half of the season, not quite half, but – you get my drift. The last seven games of the year, what's the biggest key for this team to get to double-digit wins, to get to the playoffs, to get to where it wants to go? I still think it's offensive line. I, I still think it's their continued development and working with these young tackles and finding a way. It, it's interesting because we had John Perry in here talking about it. Bill O'Brien's talked about it. Just the way that they've had to coach with these guys, using the tight ends and the backs to chip against, you mentioned it, the great pass rushers they've been facing. They've only had a total of two sacks in the recent games. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of these outstanding pass rushers. So that's that's really good for the Texans. They'll take on Ryan Kerrigan in the next outing. Uh, I I think that's going to be big, Johnny, because, you know, it's the healthiest thing for a football team to be able to run the ball and have good offensive line play. I mean, it's just what it's all about. If you had to pick one position group – you know, other than quarterback, I get it, but right. they're going to make the quarterback better, and you got a really good quarterback, and he's only going to be better with that. And then, as as Watson, I know you didn't say you didn't want health to be a part of it, but I think as Watson continues to play here, you know, the little Spencer brought it up the other day. The little blessing in disguise is that Watson's been learning to take care of himself on the field, yes. not be so reckless with his body right. and, and you want to get him to the postseason where you know he can be reckless with the body because at that point it's hey there's no tomorrow let's go let me yeah. run with the ball I'm going to go make plays with my legs if I have to yeah. and he still does that now to a degree uh, but I think the O-line is the one and uh, I know the the toughest game who knows what it is because it could be unexpected you could go face the Jets and all of a sudden the Jets are just having a, a ball game that day whatever right. 
But the Colts, to me, you know, this is going to be really interesting. Andrew Luck is throwing the bejeebers out of the ball. You know, he's second in the league in passing yards, I believe. And, you know, the Tennessee Titans winning the other day in Dallas, even though Dallas was awful in that game and the Titans. Thanks, Cowboys. Yeah, thank you. Don't send a Cowboy to do a Texans job. But to me, that one was like a Sith Lord on a distant planet rising up and doing something like, ooh, keep your eye on that little sphere. I think I said this last night in the broadcast as well from Fuddruckers, but it doesn't matter. It's worth repeating. Yes. Uh, you got to be careful. Uh, you're still in a fight here in the AFC South, even though you have the lead. You have a little padding. But look, a, a loss and one of them continues to win, and all of a sudden any one of these division games down the stretch could be a problem for you. No doubt. I Mine, very similar to yours, but on the other side of the ball. I'll go on the other side of the ball since you went offense. I think the ability to be camouflaged on defense – and what I mean by that is, where do you line up Clowney? Where do you line up Watt? Where do you line up Merciless? And then it changes the next play. Yeah. And then it changes the next play. And it changes the next play. And I think that, to me, defensively, we've always seen this with the Romeo Cornell defense. Second half of the season, salty. And yeah. that's kind of my hope, is that because they, they're really in a groove of playing together now, mm-hmm. you can play any of those guys front seven and move them around to different spots, and now you can show them different things. And they're preparing for something during a game that they never saw during the week going in. But Rack is kept in his back pocket because he's got so many different moving chess pieces on defense, and that makes it that much more difficult for offenses. Hey, get That's cu- fine. get Cunningham back, mm-hmm. get Cole back eventually. That's going to help. That I know. I know help. you're not going to go injury free the rest of the way, but huh, maybe you know you get lucky again and yep. and keep most of your body's healthy, if not all the key ones, and then. Take it from there, baby. Seven games to go in the regular season. There you go, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you, Johnny. Next up, my man Drew Doherty comes in here as we go in the lab on Texans All Access. It's time to go in the lab with Drew Doherty and myself, John Harris. This week, we talk a little bit about number 99. I want to start off with number 99. Number 99 has nine sacks through nine games. It's all very symmetrical, right? He has 85 in his career, and he's now there career-wise where you got to start looking at the list because he was tied on the all-time sacks list before the game started with Howie Long and Greg Ellis. Wow. Okay? With that sack, it was one whole sack, and you can have a half sack. With that whole sack, he passed James Harrison, who was a half sack ahead of him. And James Harrison played forever. That's right. And he tied O.C. Umanyora, pretty darn good player. Wow, yeah. Um, there's a lot of pretty good names ahead of him. He's like around 53rd on the list, 52nd on the list all-time. But um, he picks up like three or four more sacks, which I think he's going to, and we're going to get into that in a moment. He's going to pass some more big names. It's really going to be fun to see who he passes once the season, who he's passed once the season is over. But, John, we can both agree, 2012, 13, 14, and 15, the zenith of his career, the sweet spot of his career. He was a rookie in 11, was figuring things out, and in December of 11, it all came together and he started on his upward ascent. Yep. Okay. But full seasons, it was that four-year span because in 16 and 17, left about five, six games in because of injury. Yep. Greatest defensive player on the planet, maybe the best player on the planet in that four-year span. But after nine weeks, John, we're going to break things down here. In 12, he had 10 and a half sacks. He's got nine now. He finished with 20 and a half sacks. So he's a sack and a half back. In 13, had six and a half sacks at that point. Finished with 10 and a half sacks that wow. year. That was a low... 
low years statistically, but he was still just a dominant force. I think he was even better in 13. He was amazing. He I was think amazing. he was even better in 13 than he was in 12, and I know it sounds weird. He had 20 sacks in 12. Listen, yeah. it's not really all about the sacks, but by 2013, everybody knew, you better block 99 or you're not moving the football if, at all. If you'd have given him the Defensive Player of the Year award that year, you wouldn't have been off. No, you wouldn't he have. Would, he was very deserving. If if you wanted to say, if you wanted to argue, well, how can you be the MVP on a tune 14 team? Okay, I can understand yeah. that. But if you want to give most outstanding defensive player, I can absolutely without a question. I thought in 2013 he was even better at times he was in 2012. And that defense as a whole played pretty well. You know that the problems yeah. that year were pick sixes, turnovers yeah. on offense, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, yeah. but anyway. closing out games, things like that. So ten and a half, six and a half at, at the nine week point. At in fourteen, eight and a half sacks. So he's a half sack ahead of the year he was an absolute okay. alien. And he finished with twenty and a half, and then he also caught. He scored five touchdowns that year. It was a phenomenal year. Fifteen, nine and a half sacks. So he's a half sack behind that that pace, and he finished with seventeen and a half sacks. So, in his four year stretch where he was at his peak, which is the way he's playing right now, mm-hmm. he averaged eight point seven five sacks after nine weeks. So he's a little bit ahead of that schedule. Right. Right. On the whole, he would finish that four year on average, was 17.25 sacks. So, if he just kind of holds with what he's doing, you're going to see him probably get about 17.5 sacks. But you also got to remember, John, he's playing Andrew Luck once more. He's playing Blake Bortles probably once more. Yeah. And those are the two quarterbacks that he sacked the most in his career. So, good Mm. chance he's right around 20 sacks again if he keeps up what he's been doing. Okay, first of all, Let's just say that J.J. gets a double – I mean, I, I don't want to put the cart – I mean – Yeah, we are – but that's the what thing we're doing. Is, the, thing that we're, the thing that we're doing with J.J. Watt now, which I think is insane, is we bring up a 20-sack season like that's the norm. 20-sack seasons are not the norm. No. J.J. Watt has made it the norm for him. Think which about is the guys just, that have done that. It's Strahan, Watt – Lawrence Taylor, I believe. I think Justin did? Houston did it Justin once. Houston. It's, once. It's, a, once. it's a small list. Those he's guys the, did it all once. He's the only guy to do it twice, I right. believe. Right, yeah. exactly. And so he has set a bar like, oh, 20 sacks. I mean, 20 sacks. Good grief. I mean, it's amazing to think about. And you just said, go back to your note, Drew, if you don't uh-huh. mind. No problem. You just said he passed Howie Long. He was tied Tied, was with tied. Howie Long and Greg Ellis, who was okay. he had he put together a, a Greg Ellis cobbled a, together a good solid, right, right, right. but he passed Hall of he was with How, Hall of Famer Howie Long and passed him. He passed James Harrison, and now he's tied with Osu Manor. Okay, now James Harrison. It took a little while for James Harrison to get his career going, but then it felt like James Harrison played for about eight thousand decades, and he was he was a one time at least Defensive Player of the Year. And Howie Long was more DT than he was right. DE. So his so sack sometimes for a DT you look at and go, wow, he was that good playing. De-. Now he did play some defensive end, defense tackle, you know, whatever. I just wrote down as as you were talking, I was writing down the number of games that JJ played. So he played the first eleven through fifteen. So those first one, two, three, four, five years, he played sixteen games. I'm not kind of playoff games because playoff right. games don't count on our numbers. They played three and sixteen, four and seventeen, and nine and eighteen. So that comes out to a perfect sixteen. So he's only played six. Full, full seasons. Season. Yeah. Six full seasons. Now, I know the injuries take their toll. I, I get all that. But in six full seasons, he has gone past a guy like Howie Long, who played a decade, 
or more. I'm trying. To, I, I can't remember exactly how long he played. Greg Ellis played for at least a decade, and then you had a guy like James Harrison who played forever. So he's only played six years, and he's done all of that, and he's set a standard of well, yeah, you get the twenty sacks. That's the company that he keeps. Now, last year, the sack leader, I believe, was Chandler Jones. I believe it was Chandler Jones. I know he was a tackle for loss leader. Yeah, I, I think. And I that, think you're right about yeah. I think that he was. Uh, it may have been. Uh, I don't think Aaron Donald actually was the guy, but he. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was Chandler Jones with the sacks. But either way, it was like a 16 or 17. It was not a. It was not a 20 number. I know. I know still that. Still very impressive. It's still a pretty impressive number. It's a sack a game. But if JJ is and stays on on average, yeah, Chandler Jones led with 17. 17. Great season. I mean, he is a heck of a player. That's what J.J. averaged better than that over that four-year span. Yeah. So, Chandler Jones got the 17. Second place was a tie between Clayus Campbell and Demarcus Lawrence at 14 and a half. So, J.J. gets the 17, 17 and a half. There's a good chance he's going to lead the league in sacks again. That's coming off what he had to deal with in 2015 with the back and the core, what he had to deal with with his leg injury last year in 2017. It's been phenomenal. And not only that, when he had that run against the Giants of three sacks, and then the next week was Indianapolis, and he had another couple where he stripped the ball, he got the Andrew Luck. Teams started saying, well, okay, we've been double-teaming Clowney, and now we got to go double-team Watt, and now all of a sudden here comes Clowney, and now they're going kind of back and forth. Uh-huh. And so the other day, Watt gets one, Clowney gets one. Merciless gets yep. pressure. It's kind of the, it's the, gorgeous. the jam band we, is working all together, which is what we wanted. It's what we envisioned wanted. in 2014. But to think about J.J. Watt doing it after those two injuries. And, and that's the thing. Clowney had two years of injuries, then he had to prove it after that. And he was the opposite, where J.J. proved it, and then it was like, oh, man, the injuries, what are they going to take away from? Clowney had two years where people were still questioning him, and then all of a sudden he turned it on. So – you got the two working together. I thought there was a really cool moment the other day in a game when Clowney got his sack. They the work the way they worked that sack. JJ was coming off the left side, and they chipped on JJ. And Clowney went inside, and he just whipped Max Garcia. And the center couldn't get over fast enough because I think they were going to double team Clowney. And then Clowney went from beating Garcia to Keenum like in a quick minute. Like yep. I was the fastest I've ever seen. So Clowney makes the sack, and then you see Watt just throw his arms up in the air. And, like, as excited for him as he would be if J.J. Sure. got the sack. And then when J.J. got his sack, Clowney went over, like, the first one to pat him on the head. I just – I love the way that they're playing together. I love the way that Whitney fits into all this and how he's been playing. Even though the sack numbers haven't been there, Whitney has been getting plenty of pressure. You need a steadiness like that yes. in what he's doing. You Absolutely. Need that. Absolutely. And I, I love it. But to think about the number of sacks that they've, they've, they've come up with, especially J.J., and to think of the standard that he has set – where people go, hey, he didn't get to 20. It's not a great year. Are you, okay. Are you kidding me? I got two more numbers for you. Okay, go we'll ahead. talk about standards he set. So you, you brought up a very key point there with if he's played essentially six seasons because of right. the games played. Games played, yeah. So if you take out if – you, if, you, if, you, if you make it those six seasons, he has 85 career sacks. You divide that by six. That's 14 and change per season. Yeah. So obviously that, that number goes down because it's actually eight. So it's really – he's still averaging 10 – Sacks right. per se- ten plus sacks a season, but if it's really just in a per season on, on a per sixteen game basis, he's averaging over fourteen sacks a year. And then on top of that, if you take the three seasons in which he won the Defensive Player of the Year award, yeah, which was two thousand twelve, two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen, 
He averaged 19 and a half sacks those years. So, he and he's on kind of on a pace to to come right right at that. Okay, so let's play football. Let's play football nerd. Let's go in the lab. Play I thought that's nerd. what we've been doing for the last. No, no, no. I, I know we have. Okay, yeah. I want to. I want to go. But we were playing numerical nerds. Let's do it, Poindexter. Okay. Let's go X's and O nerds. Okay. Okay. So you're facing the Texans, <laughs> and you're you're the you're, you're the Redskins. You're the Titans. You're the Browns. You're the Colts. Mom spaghetti. You're the Jets. You're the uh, Eagles. You're the Jags. Yep. One game with those seven teams going through. Mm-hmm. Which which guy do you double team? Which guy do you double team? Watt, Clowney, Merciless. I mean, it it doesn't matter because it's. I don't think teams are gonna. I don't think teams are gonna double Whitney, um, and I think that's gonna be foolhardy because I think Wit can then pile up sacks. I think Wit gets his pressure in sacks and bunches. It's like, do you want to get shot by a machine gun or do you want to get shot by a sniper rifle? That's which what, one I'm, that's what I'm asking you. It's, which one? You're dead either way. Which one do you want? Do you want uh, it do you matter. want the Watt gun? Do you want the Clowny gun? Do you want the Merciless gun? Like, which one Which one do you want? Which one do you – okay, which one do you have to double That's That's the beauty of your question time. because there's each answer is wrong. You know, right. each answer is wrong. And that's that's the beauty of this question. So I don't I mean it's kind of gone back and forth because what we saw earlier in the year was I think teams wanted Watt almost to prove it. Mm-hmm. And he's proved and I it. think from the second half of the New England game going forward, even the Tennessee game. I mean Tennessee just realized well, we're not going to get the ball off if we if, right. he, if we got to send Blaine Gabbert back in the pocket five seven steps five or seven steps he's going to die. So we've got a quick and so they they dropped back like four or five times in that game, which JJ pointed out in that game. The next week, J.J. gets the three sacks, and a lot of times the Giants were devoting to Clowney, and then Watt just went you know, ape nuts over on Chad Wheeler, and it was like, whoa. So Indianapolis at that point is like, mm, how are we going to do this? Indianapolis went a little bit more one-on-one with, with both of them, actually, and then they started chipping on Clowney a little bit more, and then obviously Watt got back there and made his place. From that point forward, I think Watt has gotten a lot of the double teams – but Clowney gets them just because he lines up in a lot of different spots. And they don't know what to do. And they're not totally sure what to it. do. And so It creates two, confusion. I mean, yeah, it, a lot of two interior guys are gonna are gonna stop Clowney and and try try and stop Clowney. And I think that that to me is kind of the fun in all this is that JJ JJ likes rushing from the, the the outside, which is completely fine. He'll rush from the inside when needed, but he'll rush from the outside. But Clowney and Merciless, they can swap and they can do some different mm-hmm. things. And the thing I love about it, Drew, is when you do that and you're like, okay, well, Clowney's going to rush from the inside. Whitney's going to be on the outside. And you think, oh, yeah, but what if they run the ball? Okay, and? They're right there clogging they're, I mean, things up. Clowney anyways, can yeah. clog things up and play the run inside as well as anybody. Clowney Witt sets will the embarrass edge. you in the run game. Clowney will embarrass you. So will JJ, but it's it's like a different type of yeah, embarrassment with Clowney. Like, yeah. Because he'll not just embarrass you. There's a good chance you're going to get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> There's a really good chance you were going to get hurt. Yeah. And that goes for the running backs carrying the ball. It goes for the fullback who's trying to block. That goes for the, the offensive lineman up front. He will embarrass you. These three guys playing together, I think it's, it's, made, it's made the first nine weeks. When the defense goes on the field, I'm so curious as to where everybody lines up and how they're lining everybody up. There was a set the other day. They lined up, and it was Watt on the outside. And then it was BMAC on the outside. So it was Watt and BMAC on the outside. And then the inside was Reader 
and I can't remember who else it was. It may have been Reeder and Cove, and the inside linebackers were Clowney and Peters. Mm-hmm. Now, that typically would be Zach, but Zach's been hurt, and hopefully we'll get him back because I think Zach's as much as Swiss Army knife for what he can do. Not so much lining up and rushing off the edge and things like that, but Zach can blitz. He can match up with running backs. And so, to me, Zach ends up being a really interesting peg in this off in this defense. But what I have said, I said this a couple years ago, and I emphasized it even more this past year. I feel like this is a positionless defense, which yeah, you're, that's you're, all I've ever you're wanted. You're seeing that in the secondary. You're seeing that up front. I mean, that's, it's, that's all I've ever wanted. Is and, and I thought it could be, and, and hopefully years down the road, some brilliant, sage, wise football writer will look back at this defense and say, you know what, that was the defense that sort of changed things. Because none of them have a position. It's a positionless, at least from the front seven perspective. But even in the secondary, Tyron, Kareem, none of them have a set position. They all have a slash in their name. It's like the slash defense. Corner slash safety, safety slash nickel, defensive end slash outside linebacker, and then Clowney doesn't even have a position at all. You just put front seven, and that works for Clowney. So great stuff on the In the Lab podcast with Drew and myself. Go check it out. iTunes, Stitcher, tune in however you get your podcast. We've got plenty of more in the podcast. That was just a snippet of it right there. So however you consume your podcast, iTunes, through Apple, uh, or tune in or Stitcher or wherever, however you do it, just go check out our podcast. That's in the lab. We also have Deep Slant with Deep City. We've got Vandermeer's View, obviously Mark. We've got all of our all-access shows. All of our replay shows are on the podcast, so go check them out. Really appreciate it and appreciate Drew for stopping by. All right, we get back. It's time for our interview with running backs coach Danny Barrett. Spent a lot of his time in the CFL, so this is going to be really fun to talk with Coach Barrett about his time in the CFL and how that has helped him as an NFL coach and were there any, oh, I don't know, interesting moments early in his American football coaching career once he got back to the States? We'll talk about all that next with Danny Barrett on Texans All Access. We've got one final segment of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you, and I want to remind all Houston area teachers, if you want to bring a little Texans football to your classroom, then sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by Phillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. It's time to have a little discussion with running backs coach Danny Barrett. Now, a little, little background on Coach Barrett. He got here last year. He'd been in Miami for a couple of years. He'd been in the college game for, uh, for a few years. But he had spent the majority of his adult playing and coaching life in the CFL, playing up in Canada. Here's a guy from Florida, played at the University of Cincinnati as a quarterback, went up to Canada, played for a long time, and then ended up coaching there. And we talked a lot about that because, a little peek behind the curtain, Mark, Andre, and myself, we have a text string going, especially during the summer, that we always remind each other, hey, Edmonton's playing Ottawa on ESPN. Of course, we all go there and watch, and then we're texting each other. Hey, do you see that play? Oh, my gosh, look at this. So we're always watching CFL football together. So we're enamored with CFL, and lo and behold, Danny Barrett and Andre Ware have known each other for a good long time. So not to exclude Andre from the conversation, but Mark and I had a chance to catch up with Danny Barrett, talk about the CFL, talk about this running back group, 
how do you split things up between Miller and Blue and what we've seen thus far? So a lot of good stuff here from Danny Barrett, running backs coach, your Houston Texans. Coach, all right, let's start here. You're at the University of Cincinnati. How did you get to the CFL from there? What happened? Well, that's a good question. Um, my head coach at the time, Mike Goffrey, you know, was uh, was solid and in, in instrumental in myself developing to be a, a quarterback that he thought could play at the next level. He felt like if I wanted to continue to play quarterback that I would have to go to Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had no opportunity to stay south to do that at the time, and he was right. So I went to Canada in 83 and spent 24 years up there. 24 years playing and coaching. And, by the way, honorable mention All-America selection at the University of Cincinnati. So that's, that's no joke, the quarterback that you were in college. Right. CFL. And Johnny and I and Andre Ware, who you know well because you were with him in Canada for a bit. Yep. We always talk about this is more difficult than you think to play football up there. What was that like for you as a player and a coach? Well, initially going up, you know, you think it's football, it's just regular football, but you had to learn, first of all, three-down football was, was, was tough. Twelve guys on the field, another guy on the field, mm. and cold weather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cold weather. I mean, it was this time of year, which is the end of the year for those guys. They're getting ready to go into the playoffs. So starting October, you started getting, you know, a lot of cold weather. Not used to it being from Florida, so I had to make that adjustment. And just overall culture as a whole. You know, it, it was uh, the first couple years was tough just learning the game. But once I can figure out that third down and where that 12th guy was, it became easy for me. And it was a lot of fun. You know, the biggest thing was unlimited motion from an offensive standpoint, unlimited motion. You know, bigger field, wider field. I mean, it was great. I had a lot of fun. Do you, if you ever in just kind of a quick moment, things are flying a million miles a minute, do you ever get to third down and go, oh, we got a punt? Have you, have you ever had that happen <laughs> since you've been back? Not as States? of late. When I first came back uh, in 2007, my first year back at the University of Buffalo, you know, it was it was a little touchy for me, you know, <laughs> mainly because only one guy could be in motion. Yeah. So I was like, why why is everything so slow? Yeah. Mm. And uh, that was the key for me. And the field seemed like it was so small. I'm like, yeah. whoa, you know. Yeah. But, you know, after a couple of years, I got used to it. And it took it took some readjustment to do just like going the other way. But uh, it's, it's come about, you know, in the right way for me. Coach. Coaching running backs, we talk about this a lot of times. You got Lamar, you got Alfred. Uh, hopefully, at some point, we see Deontay Foreman. What is it? Is there something to having the hot hand as it pertains to a running back? Like, this guy's really seeing it. This is the type of game for him, or this is the type of game for the other guy. Is there something to that having the hot hand? We talk about that in basketball a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Ooh, feed him. He's got the hot hand. Right. Is it the same way for running backs? For the most part, it is. You know, uh, obviously, you know, we go into a game, you know, wanting to try to get both guys involved. And then it's just like playing. I always tell them it's like playing double dutch. When do the next guy go? When you always try to prepare him ahead of time. So uh, we talk about this during the week. Hey, this certain uh, offensive personnel grouping, you know, we're going to utilize you here, let's say Blue or, or, or Lamar. And, uh, and they do a great job as far as handling that situation. I always tell them, too, you know, let's not be greedy if you're tired. Let us know because we want to be fresh, and I think that's the key for those guys. They've been together now for the third third year together, yep. so I think they feed off each other. You know, they always see them together, so uh, they enjoy each other, and uh, I think they enjoy playing together. But for me, it's a matter of okay, what well, you know, he's feeling it right now. Keep him on the football field, and I think the other guy agrees with that wholeheartedly as well. Lamar came in this year a little bit slimmer than previous seasons, and what are you seeing from him so far this season? Well, the key for himself, one, you know, he took the initiative. I want to come back a little bit lighter. I'm getting a little bit older. 
but just, you know, uh, making that decision, very decisive in what he wants to do. And I told him, when I see your feet pattering a little bit, it's not like you're being decisive. You know, he always wants to try to make sure he's doing the right thing. You know, he's a pro at it, and he's always looking for that opportunity, you know, to try to take it to the house. And I said, sometimes that's not going to be there. So let's go out just be decisive. You know, he's doing a great job as far as being coachable and taking that initiative as far as hitting the holes when they're there. With Alfred, we've seen his his maturation from 2014 all the way through 2018. You've obviously been with him this year. Mm-hmm. What have you seen in Alfred this year uh, that really has – I mean, he, to us, looks like a different running back. But to you, what are you seeing with Alfred? Well, one, uh, he's a big back. And, uh, and that's the one thing we talk about. We want you to be a big back. And I think he's doing a great job as far as getting his pass down and, again, being decisive. You know, for a big guy, he is nifty on his feet. But at times, you know, you want Alfred, and he's done a great job as, again, being coachable, being a pro as far as taking what's there and just hitting it. And you can see it. You know, he's coming through those uh, coming through those holes, very small holes for a big guy at 230, and he's getting through those things because he's being decisive in what he's doing. But I think the biggest thing, and I, and I told him about this when I first got here, I think he's having fun. You know, for whatever reason, you know, uh, when I got here, you know, you know, they say it was a quiet room, the RB room. It's not a quiet room. Those guys have a lot of fun, and he's the ring leader as far as keeping everything light and having fun. I think he's enjoying himself this year. Running backs coach Danny Barrett joining us. You've been a head coach before. How does that help you as an assistant coach? Well, you know, I can sit back and relax a little bit more, you know, and, and kind of the game is slowed down for me, mm-hmm. and I'm always kind of thinking ahead. You right. know, as opposed to dealing with, you know, this series of downs, I'm thinking ahead, you know, who's going to be the guy in the fourth quarter. We need to finish strong or in situations uh, on the sidelines, talking to the other assistant coaches. You know, this is where we're at here. Let's think about this. And I think that we do as a staff, I know offense do a great job as far as communicating. And for myself, you know, like I said, having the big whistle before, it's more of a relaxed atmosphere for myself. You know, I'm looking at the clock. I'm always thinking about situations here. You know, it's the last two minutes of the game. What do we need to do here? And if asked on that headset by Coach O'Brien, you want to be prepared to give an answer. When we saw it, as I want to say, it was maybe the Buffalo game, maybe the Dallas game, we saw a set where you had both Alfred and Lamar on the field, in large part because of what they do as a pass protector. How important does that aspect become in this offense, Coach? It's huge. You know, again, I heard you guys talking with Coach Devlin prior to coming in. And uh, we're young up front in some areas, and they're going against some tough guys off those edges week in and week out. And I think Coach O'Brien and, and the offensive staff, especially Coach O'Brien, has done a great job. Is how can we help the young tackles? And our guys do a great job. Lamar, Alfred, great job as for chipping and then be able to get out into the passing game. Once they get the ball in their hands, they're getting first downs. But more importantly, you know, it's the game plan going in. Uh, everybody's bought into it. And I can't say enough in the Dallas game, you know, how they came in and kind of nullified that and gave us an opportunity to throw the ball down the field. As a quarterback, what do you think of Deshaun Watson? You played the position. You're watching this guy. And Lamar Miller has to, and Alfred Blue, they have to be ready to adjust and improvise when Watson does. You're never out of a football game. That's all I know. (laughs) You know, he has great skill set. But the biggest thing about, you know, uh, Deshaun that I've seen is just the person that he is. You know, from day one, he's been consistent, that same guy. And he's only getting better on the football field. You can just see it week in and week out, just that maturity, you know, as far as taking care of the football, being in the right play, calling a timeout as opposed to taking the delay of game. Those are some of the things that's, that's uh, uncoachable 
you know, but he's starting to pick up all of those intangibles, and he's running with it right now. Coach, the last three weeks, zero turnovers. Is that something that you can teach, can preach? What When it comes to ball security and running backs, you know, a lot of guys just run the way they've always run, and some guys are just more prone to giving it up or not. Is that something that you can teach and work on, or is that just something innate in a running back? He's just not going to give it up when he gets hit. I imagine you guys talk about it, yes, but sir. you guys really apply it with the two guys you have. Well, it's being applied. You know, from day one, you know, the goals in our room is 100% ball security. You know, and, and that's some of the things we talk about week in and week out. Every day I come in, it's, it's in bold letters on the board, ball security. Because we take care of the football, we win football games. And it's showing, like you said, over the last three weeks. And then up front, you know, Coach O'Brien starts at the top. We talk about it at, at team meetings, at offensive meetings. Let's take care of the football. We do that. We have great success. But from a running back standpoint, it's them planning. We work on it every day at practice, you know, with our drills. Even though we go out for pregame warm-ups, the first thing we talk about, the first thing we do is ball security. So it's a constant reminder. Yeah. And even during the course of the game, I'm always don't relax, take care of the football. Right. So, you know, that's one of the things that's, as far as the experience of, of being, you know, a quarterback or, or head coach, you talk about ball security, and that's something that I preached as a running back coach from day one. Coach, thanks a lot. Good luck the rest of the way. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Had a great time with Danny Barrett, of course, with John Perry. Love talking to these assistant coaches. I see them in the hallway every now and again. And because they see us, we see them. They've gotten comfortable, especially Coach Perry, because we've seen him since Bill O'Brien got here. And it's so much fun getting them on the air and talking about some of the things that they get a chance to do, the players that they're coaching. It was a really good time, and we really thank them. So John Perry and Danny Barrett, thank you very much. To Drew Doherty, to Mark Vandermeer, thank you. To D.P. Sidhu, who did a tremendous job with her deep slate interview with Kareem. And KJAC TV is going national which I told you earlier in the show, great stuff there. A lot of, lot of fun doing this show. On Friday, we'll have a little bit more for you. We'll have Brad Seeley. We'll have Anthony Weaver. Anthony Midget also joined us as well. My man Russell Baxter will be here, so we got plenty for you on Friday. You guys enjoy this night. Enjoy the rest this week. A little less stressful over the weekend as we get a chance to watch the Titans, the Jags, and the Colts all play. We get to sit back and watch atop the AFC South. Appreciate you guys listening. Thank you again, and we'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.